The history of American Mother's Day starts with a peacemaker named Ann Jarvis. She was born in 1832 in Virginia, married the son of a preacher man, and had somewhere around 13 children, but only four survived. One of those who survived, her daughter Anna Marie Jarvis, is recognized as the founder of the Mother's Day holiday in the United States. The Jarvis family, like many families at the time, suffered frequent tragedy and loss. And these losses inspired Ann Jarvis to take action to help her community to combat childhood diseases and unsanitary conditions. She was a dynamic woman who saw a need and found ways to meet them. Well, in 1858, while she was pregnant with her sixth child, Jarvis began Mother's Day work clubs in the towns to improve health and sanitary con conditions. During the American Civil War, 1861 to 1865, sentiment in the western part of Virginia was sharply divided between the North and the South in the Civil War. In 1863, this culminated in the western part of the state breaking away from Virginia and formed the new state of West Virginia, which was loyal to the Union in the North. Western Virginia became the location of some of the first conflicts in the Civil War, and Jarvis's Mother's Day work clubs altered their mission to meet the changing demands brought about by this Civil War. And Ann Jarvis urged the clubs to declare neutrality and to provide aid to both Confederate and Union soldiers. Her efforts to keep the community together continued after the Civil War, and she and her club members planned a Mother's Friendship Day for soldiers from both sides to help the healing process. Despite threats of violence, Jarvis successfully staged the event in 1868. She shared with the veterans a message of unity and reconciliation. Bands played Dixie and Star Spangled Banner, and the event ended with everyone north and south joining together to sing Auld Lang Syne. In 1914, President Wilson signed a congressional resolution officially making the second Sunday in May the National Mother's Day and calling for Americans to recognize it by displaying the flag. So she, what a great example of a mother. How many of mothers today have to sort out fights in their day-to-day -day life? Well, we aren't all mothers, and no mother is perfect, but we've all had mothers, and some born to mothers have the immense privilege of going on to become mothers themselves. And today we celebrate the God-given, incredibly beautiful gift of being a mother. We love you, mothers of our families and communities. You make our nation stronger and better and sweeter. And we say special prayers today for moms who can't be with their children because of the coronavirus or other reasons. And we say special prayers for moms who are with their children 24-7 because of the coronavirus. <laughs> I'd like to give a shout out to my own mother up in Canada. Uh, one of my favorite stories about my mother was a fantastic mother. Uh, she looked kind of willowy and slight in stature, didn't look very strong. And my uh, younger brother, he had been working construction, lifting weights, and he fancied himself rather strong. So he grappled with my mother. They intertwined their fingers, thinking he would put her down, and she quickly put him to the ground like that. <laughs> and that was a strength born of milking cows by hand for many years, helping out her father because of her older brother was an alcoholic. 
And so she went through that and developed that strength of uh, body and character. Our gospel today, if you care to turn to it in the bulletin, begins by saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. This is what mothers do best. Soothing our worries, calming our troubled hearts, comforting us, dispelling our fears. Mothers, help us get along. Help us not only to stop fighting, but to develop the ability to see things from someone else's perspective as they sort out warring siblings. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Well, in John chapter 12, two chapters before this, he says of himself in speaking of his imminent death, my soul is troubled. In chapter 13, he foretells his betrayal. And John says he was troubled in spirit. He had every reason to be troubled. The context of this saying is the Last Supper, where one disciple leaves supper to betray him. It is announced that another of his disciples, Peter, would deny him. And all they're all told that they would all leave him. And so it is to a very troubled group that Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. And he then goes to the garden and the evangelist says that he was in anguish to face what was before him. So Jesus can definitely relate to us in our troubles. And he says, believe in God, believe also in me. Or another translation, trust in God and trust in me. It's going to be all right. I'm going to take care of you. He goes on to say, I'm going to prepare a place for you and come and get you. We have lots of trouble these days, a unique kind of situation facing the global situation. How do we manage our troubles? How do we speak truth to our troubles? Psalm 31 that was read is a good example of trying to trust God through our troubles and seeing him as a crag and fortress and tower. Jesus assures them that there is a place for them. He will prepare it. He will go to take care of things. But he says to them that they cannot go there now. They cannot follow. It's interesting, in the Gospel of Mark, the disciples are told to follow an unknown man to an unknown destination, and there they will find a room prepared for them, kind of a foreshadowing of what Jesus is about to do. In verses 3 and 4, Jesus assures them that he will come back. Look at these wonderful words. I will come again. I will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. I love that phrase. I will take you to myself. This is the truth we speak into our trouble, into our fears. I will take you to myself. And then he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. It's important to notice that Jesus didn't say that they know where he is going. He says only that they know the way. Thomas is frustrated with that and says, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? In John chapter 13, Jesus twice says, where I am going, you cannot come. Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. Peter says, where are you going? Isn't that such a mama thing to say? Where are you going? Where do you think you're going dressed like that? <laughs> you're not going anywhere till you've had your homework done. What time are you going to be home? Where are you going? They want to know. And kids don't want their parents always to know. The coronavirus has kind of put an end to that question. Where are we going? We're not going anywhere. With this quarantine, social distancing, lockdown, church services online, 
summer plans in our disarray. It feels like we can't go anywhere. Where are you going? We are preoccupied with the destination. And Jesus helps us refocus on the here and now, the journey. And if acquaintance asked you, where are you going this summer? It wouldn't be very satisfying to your friend if you began by saying, well, my wife and I are going to go west on the I-10 until we get to the 71, we're going to go north, and then we get there, we're going to go... They want to know where we're going. (laughs) My brother, uh, my older brother, (laughs) I've got my brother's stories, he was a missionary in Africa for many years. Before he got there, he found himself in a little village, and he found out that people wouldn't be embarrassed to say they didn't know where some place was. So if my brother said, can you tell me how to get to a destination? If they didn't know, they would make something up because it was embarrassing to not know. So he quickly learned there could be a lot of wrong answers to the question, where are you going? (laughs) There are so many things that draw a curtain over the answer to our question, where we're going. There are many that will give us false hope, misguided direction. The coronavirus has raised the question, where are we going with all this? Death is the ultimate curtain. What is on the other side? We don't know, so we get anxious. The crisis of this pandemic brings us into clear focus. We don't know what the end of this will be. We cannot discern the future. It makes our heart anxious, and we want to know. We want a number. We want a date. When we can come back. When we can open up. When? Maybe some are granted a glimpse as they face martyrdom, as Stephen did in our readings in Acts this morning. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God, look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Jesus will go and prepare a place so that we will end up there one day. But in the meantime, he offers us a way. He will show us the way that will get us through the curtain because he is the way. This is the verse that we articulate and announce at funerals. I am the way. I am the person. I am the love. What is behind the curtain? We've all seen the actors on stage trying to find the place in the curtains where they can get through and going up and down and we feel for them. What is behind the curtain? We don't know. But Jesus says he can show the way to get through the curtain. We cannot know now what is behind, but Jesus said, I will show you the way so that one day you may go through the curtain. If you can rest in that assurance, abide in that promise, you may discover that you've been in heaven all along. As C.S. Lewis points out in the book, The Great Divorce, I really recommend it. Coronavirus has reminded us that the church is not the building. We, you and me, are the church. The disciple Peter, who said to Jesus, where are you going, now says, as the apostle Peter, in our epistle, come to him a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. Like living stones, let yourselves be built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable through God. Just as the church is not this building but us, so too your house is not your home. For most of us, our house is our home in the sense that is where we gather at the moment as a family. But if your house was taken away or you had to leave your house, you still have a home. Home is where the heart is. Home is where mom is. 
or dad or the family. And it is the love that we share that constitutes our place and our way. We do not know the eventual destination, but we do know the one who will get us there. And we know that he is with us here in the meantime, and we must believe in him and trust in him. Happy Mother's Day. We love you.